0: Say What is the radio program of Protect Our Kids, which seeks to inform and equip concerned citizens about the looming crisis in American education. So listen in as your hosts, Mark Schneider and George Roska Jr., unpack the issues and organizations affecting our children. And now here's your hosts, Mark Schneider and George Roska Jr.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm George Roska. And I'm Mark Schneider. And we want to welcome you to today's episode Uh of Say What, where we talk about the threats to our children in the public school system, including the infringement of their legal rights.
2: That's right, George. Both kids and their parents have legal rights that aren't surrendered at the public school gate that parents especially need to be aware of.
1: And you know, this is a, a quite a complex topic, which is why we're going to cover it over two parts uh, in our Podcast. Right. Um, And today we'll be discussing legal rights in general and how they pertain to public schools.
2: And before we get too deeply into this, George, we need to give a little disclaimer. We are not offering any specific legal advice to our listeners if they have. Um, a legal issue, they need to consult with their own attorney. But uh, hopefully this is going to be very interesting today.
1: Most definitely, Mark. And this is a place where just, you know, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I'm a parent. And as I was getting, you know, early on... Uh, 3 years ago into all of this i realized that there are laws that there are then frameworks that there are curriculas that there are ed codes and that just that was a whole different world for me that i had to get educated in so what well, why is this important why is it important for parents and to understand not their not only their parental rights but what Rights their children have.
2: Well, let let me. It's a great question, George, and let me address the answer to that by uh, quoting our former Attorney General under the Trump administration, uh, Attorney General William Barr, and he said this. This is, this is a speech he gave a number of weeks ago, where he said, "This morning, I want to take a few moments to talk about what I think is the greatest threat to religious liberty in America today." And that's the increasingly militant and extreme secular progressive climate in our state run educational system. In fact, George, he called our schools secular progressive. Madrasas.
1: What's a madrasa?
2: A madrasa is a term for a fundamentalist Islamic school that mm-hmm. the Taliban used to indoctrinate young children in those countries. So strong language, but uh, this is a man who's very well acquainted, obviously, with what's going on in the public schools. And for him to make this kind of a statement, I think, points to how critical it is that parents understand their legal rights.
1: I, I completely agree. And, and, Mark, yesterday I read an article um, where it quoted Archibald Alexander Hodge, who was the principal of Princeton Seminary back in the late
2: 1800s. I saw that.
1: And, man, I was blown away that people back then could see it. They could see it as if you go into this federalization of public school direction this is exactly what you're gonna get, these madrasas. So
2: in fact, maybe we can read that quote later on. Yes. Well, he went on to say that this secular this radical secularism represents a new religion that ironically enjoys the protection of the First Amendment, but none of its prohibitions. So again, a very concerning statement by our former Attorney General. And this leads, George, to the discussion of the nature of rights themselves. So today we're going to be very general. We're just going to talk about where do rights come from, how do they fit into our legal system, and next week we're going to get a little bit more specific.
1: And, but, we, and we talked about a little bit about rights when we talk about sexual rights, so uh, we're going to unpack that a little bit more right now.
2: Indeed we are. And, and the first and most important thing to understand is that all rights – come from God, and they are individual nature. We hear a lot about this term, social justice, Mm -hmm. but rights are really about justice as applied to the individual. And our founders understood this. In the Declaration of Independence, they wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, with certain unalienable rights. Unalienable means non-transferable. You, you can't give them away mm-hmm. uh, because you're made in the image of God. You have these things by virtue of being a human being. And among these are life, liberty, uh, and the pursuit of happiness. And here's a key statement, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose of government, George to secure our rights. That's the fundamental purpose of government. So to protect these individual rights, not establish them, they're already established by God, our founders put in place very different levels of, of legal protection. And these all apply to parents and students in the public school system. And, of course, the first one is the Constitution itself, this, wow. was, this project was started in 1787, uh, the constitutional delegation that, that met in uh, Independence Hall and, uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, it was finally ratified in 1788, and it is the supreme law of the land. And it's proven pretty durable. It's been around for over 240 years. It's, in fact, it's the oldest living constitution that the world has ever known.
1: Yeah, I was shocked when I was reading uh, just the comparison of American history and revolution versus the french history and revolution yeah and they're on they're like 20 something constitution by now
2: <laughs> most countries are most countries are and most western democracies they have what's called a parliamentary uh, form of government so but we we have a constitution that and it is the supreme law of the land so the th- this is the our guiding document that controls everything underneath it, including the second way that where we have legal rights, which is through the legislature, mm-hmm. whether the federal or state legislative houses. And those come in the form of statutes. And we, we've all heard of those. And the third key area of legal protections that are offered us come through what is called case law. So you have a dispute with somebody, and uh, what do you do if you can't amicably resolve that dispute? You go to court. And so a judge has to look at the facts, and he looks at the law. And he applies, if if, if he or she is doing their job, they will apply the law to the specific facts to resolve what is called a case or a controversy. Mm-hmm. And that's the way our, our common law system works. Uh, we inherited that through England, and it's worked out pretty well for us. So, they Judges are responsible for interpreting the laws that come down either from the Constitution or from legislatures in the form of statutes and applying them to your particular situation. Now there are There are a couple more areas uh, that we find ourselves uh, more and more having to contend with, and that is regulations. In fact, some people call this the fourth branch of government because there are so many of them. But Congress has empowered federal agencies, and state governments have empowered state agencies to make it easier for people to issue regulations to implement the law.
1: So like the Department of Education?
2: Exactly. Exactly. That's right. And finally, you know, some people talk about uh, executive powers. So um, our our president is the commander in, in chief. And uh, insofar as he is responsible for fulfilling that role, he can also issue uh, executive orders. But these can easily be rescinded by the very next president that comes along. And he also is bound by the Constitution. So that's kind of a rough framework of, you know, how uh, our laws work. And just to give you some examples, uh, our audience examples of constitutional rights in reverse order, Mm -hmm. because we're going to get down to the most important one, particularly for parents in the public school system, is the 14th Amendment, um, which says that uh, no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of, of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws so we hear these terms due process Mm -hmm. and equal protection everybody should be treated the same under the law it doesn't matter what race you are what your your national origin is, how old you are, what your your net worth is, you should be. The justice is blind, yeah. and this term comes from the Fourteenth Amendment. And the law should be followed according to its process. Judges can't do arbitrary things. There is a process that m- must be followed, and all that comes through the Fourteenth Amendment. Uh, the Tenth Amendment is pretty interesting. It says that the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor ber- prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states or to the people. So sometimes you hear this term enumerated powers. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that the government of the United States is one of the enumerated powers. The government only has the powers laid out in the Constitution. Wow. If it's not laid out there, then those powers reside with the people or to the states. Pretty powerful concept.
1: I agree. Yeah, that that's... Um I think that goes to show really how much uh, people individually have a responsibility to be involved civically, because everything else is given to us to handle basically.
2: Uh, if you don't pursue your rights, you will you will lose them, right? <laughs> And then, of course, there's the famous Fourth Amendment, which is the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. And uh, uh, students in school systems sometimes find themselves the victim of unreasonable searches and seizures. So this could apply, too. But finally, sort of the crown jewel of our constitutional rights is the First Amendment. And uh, before I read it, kind of a historical footnote. The First Amendment is the first among equals in our Bill of Rights, and our Bill of Rights sort of lay out um, all our constitutional rights. But there was a real debate at the time of the founding as to whether or not a Bill of Rights should be included in the Constitution. And the argument went like this. If we include a Bill of Rights, then people are going to automatically think that, well, if it's not in the Bill of Rights, then I don't have this Mm. right. If we don't include it, then they automatically assume that they do have those rights, because we are a government, after all, of enumerated powers. But... um, the founders understood very well, as Lord Acton would later say, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So they felt that we need to err on the side of caution and include this Bill of Rights, and I'm, I'm so happy they did, oh, yes. George. <laughs> Which brings us to the First Amendment, and this is sort of the crown jewel of our rights, and particularly applies to parents and and kids in the public school system. Here's what it says. Congress shall make no law, no law, George, uh, respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging freedom of speech, of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble or to petition the government for a redress of grievances
1: Wow and, and I just wanted to say one thing here Mark um, I don't know of another country that has something like this and I, I come from Romania and even most uh, countries in western Europe don't have something like this this is, this is very unique to the United States and I, I hope that people um you know, because of all of the other topics we talk about, yeah. how evil America is, <laughs> I always laugh because people j- just are not aware of what uh, what how well we have it here
2: it, it was certainly completely unique at the time of its drafting. There are a few countries that have constitutions. there's the um uh human rights. Declaration from the United Nations, but certainly no other nation follows a Bill of Rights to the degree that the United States is. It's truly a treasure. So uh, those are our cons- fundamental constitutional rights. And, and we have those regardless of what other laws come into being, like statutes, like legislation. And you and I are very well aware of how much elections matter because it's people that make these laws who get voted into the state house. And in California, we've had a number of, uh, of laws that we haven't liked very much for kids in our public schools system and statutes they usually take away they they never add to our unalienable rights so we need to be very very careful about empowering people to pass laws that are affecting our rights in the school system like you remember uh sp 48 in 2011 you remember that one the fair education act
1: they're all say what kind of moments. Say
2: what where children were required to learn about the accomplishments of people based solely on their sexual appetites with our California legislature passed that law. It's a statute couple of years later they passed uh, assembly bill 1266 this famous bathroom bill that says the kids that identify with the opposite gender can use the locker rooms in accordance with those personal beliefs
1: and this is this is why my daughter will never enter into public school property
2: and finally, these culminated in the famous Assembly Bill 329, otherwise known as the California Healthy Youth Act, which mandated that comprehensive radical sex ed yeah. be taught in, uh, in middle school and high school. But there are some good statutes as well. And a, a good example of that is uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that was passed in 1993, which said that government shall not substantially burden a person's exercise of religion unless that burden is the least restrictive means to further a compelling government interest. Now, you might wonder well, we have a First Amendment. Why, do we need, why did we need rifra mm-hmm. well because RF, because the First Amendment has been challenged time after time after time, and our federal government thought that we needed sort of a restatement of the First Amendment to add some more teeth to it, and that 's why rifra came about. Uh, Other good statutes are the opt-out rules that we have that we're going to talk about, I think, next week uh, that that, that parents have to get their kids out of certain uh, curriculums in the the public school systems.
1: By the way, parents, the the powers that be, the California Teachers Associations, Teachers Unions, Planned Parenthood, ACLU, they really want to get rid of these opt-outs. They look at parents as a barrier to the public school system providing their children with the necessary education.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right, George. <laughs> So those are examples of constitutional rights, uh, statutes, and then we have case law that we've talked about. How have judges over the years, and particularly the Supreme Court, interpreted these laws to specific cases and controversies? And these go back, of course, to the founding of our country. But some notable ones uh, for our purposes today are cases like Meyer v. Nebraska, you might wonder, does the Constitution say that parents have a right to form a family, mm. to marry, to have children, to bring them up? Well, the, interestingly enough, the Constitution does not specifically talk to that issue. So, and it wasn't really even an issue until the early 1900s. People just assumed, why do you need to talk about that? that obviously, that is an unalienable right that God gave the word gave life us. for
1: me, that, that kind of seems...
2: That good. kind of covers <laughs> it. And that's exactly, George, what the justices found. Okay. Um, so, for example, in in Meyer v. Nebraska, they used the Fourth 14th Amendment uh, to say that... It protects the right of parents to, quote, establish a home and bring up children and to control the education of their own children. Wow. So that's a seminal case. A hundred years ago. A hundred years ago. Twenty years later, we had uh, another interesting case, famous case, West Virginia Board of Education versus Barnett. Also, um, at issue there was the 14th Amendment. And the issue in that particular case was whether students could be forced to salute the flag and give the, the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm-hmm. Now, generally, we think it's a good thing for students to, to have patriotism, patriotism and do that. But should we be able to force them to do that? Well, this is what the court said. The 14th Amendment protects the citizen against the state itself, and boards of education are not accepted. So, people have their rights of conscience, and they should not be violated. And that's what this case stood for. In fact, they went on to say, and we've quoted this before on this program, if there is any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it is that no official higher petty can prescribe which shall be orthodox, whether in politics or religion or in a school setting. So that, that's a very key case. That was 1948, or excuse me, 43. And then in 1968, we had another great, great case for parents. And one that they should be aware of, and that's the Tinker case, Tinker versus uh, Des Moines. And this was a First Amendment case, and it had to do with uh, uh, students wearing uh, black armbands to protest the Vietnam War. Of course, schools wanted to prevent them from doing that, and the court said, "In our system, state-operated schools may not be enclaves of totalitarianism." Strong. A strong language there.
1: They're becoming.
2: <laughs> Arguably they are. School officials do not, the court went on to say, possess absolute authority over their students. Students in school as well as out of school are persons under our Constitution and they are possessed of fundamental rights that the state must possess. So these are wonderful cases and they're still widely quoted. But George, they they're challenged mm-hmm. constantly, yep. and you and I are very well aware of this famous case that came out of the Ninth Circuit in 2005, Fields versus Palmdale School District. This kind of an, an affront to the cases that we just read, because this is also a, a 14th Amendment case, and the particular issue in the case was a mental health counselor who was administering sex surveys to students in the public schools. And of course, parents found out about this and objected to it. We don't want our children being uh, subjected to taking these surveys. And that brought up a broader issue. What kind of material can schools present to students in the public schools? And how much control over those materials should parents have? Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, the Ninth Circuit um, said that... um, The the decision of parents to control the upbringing of their children does not extend beyond the threshold of the school door. That's absolutely horrendous. It's chilling, isn't it? Yes. And this is a case, as you know, George, that the ACLU has used uh, um, quite well. Uh, on behalf of school boards, to remind them, you don't really have to pay much attention to parents. You you have control by Based virtue of this that particular kind of a letter case.
1: to my school district as well. Yes, and I've gotten a copy of it through a FOIA request, and I was just blood boiling yes. when I read that.
2: Most parents are when when they read the uh, the fine language. So next week, George, we're going to talk more about this, and particularly we're going to highlight a case that came out of Nevada that that, that brings into sharp relief all of the cases that we've talked about today. But I think in conclusion, we want to encourage parents— To be on the alert for what they perceive as violations of their rights of conscience, their First Amendment rights, um, and carefully document what they're experiencing, either directly as a parent or through their children on the school campus. Because there are many public interest law firms that are ready to take those cases, like uh, Pacific Justice Institute. Like Advocates for Faith and Freedom down in San Diego, here in California, and like Alliance Defending Freedom, a wonderful organization. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty, and we always have to be vigilant about what's going on with our children.
1: Most definitely, and we'll continue next week with part two. See you then.